Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Howdy, everybody. I'm Jeremy. I'm a therapist and founder of Mind Above. And I've got Lily, who's a good friend of mine, and she is the founder and director of education at Bladecraft Barber Academy. So we're doing this podcast because we want to start talking to people about real deal life, what's going on, and giving some understanding to find a better balance. And so I thought it'd be really cool to start with somebody I know that's like a always like positive ray of sunshine and positive energy and does amazing things for her community as well as for the students that come through her doors to learn a skill. So I want to further ado, let Lily introduce herself to us. Oh, thank you. That was such a sweet intro. Absolutely. Um, I'm Lily Benitez, director of Bladecraft Barber Academy. And uh, my friendship with Jeremy comes from actually caring about people and their well-being. And so we have different avenues to be able to do that. But I think at the very heart of it, our desire is the same. And that's that we really care about the well-being of people as a whole. So for me, I am in barber education and barbering services. And so that happens to me to be the avenue that I get. And um, I love doing it. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk about a little history, be a little candidate here. What high school did you go to? Arlington High School, because is there any other high school? Really? So go Colts. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So ironically, of all places, I went to the same high school as Lily. Uh, I was, I'm a little older, but yeah, it was an interesting just phenomenon to years and years later uh, find that we went to the same high school and life took us in much different places, but came back to the, the Dallas area. So, um, but what is, how old were you when you first started getting the bar ring? What got you interested in it? So I have always massaged since I was a kid. I just really enjoyed helping people feel better. And then as life would have it, I ended up finding out that my mom had an uncle that was a bone setter, which was, um, my parents are from El Salvador, so a little bit mm -hmm. uh, third world slightly. And so their methods of healing and helping people are a little bit more organic to say okay. so um my uncle did or my mom's uncle did bone setting and so i think that just naturally like if you bump your elbow you will rub your elbow because it hurts so mm -hmm. just naturally just kind of applying pressure manipulating it helps and so ever since i was a little girl i used to do that and then um i went into the massage industry right after high school i literally turned 18 years old the day i graduated high school and I immediately went into massage school. And then as that kind of started progressing, I realized that I was either going to have to go into the medical field with it or go into kind of like um, the spa salon realm of it. And okay. um, I was always obsessed with straight razor shaving. Um my dad is a carpenter, was a carpenter. He's in heaven now, but um, he was a carpenter. And so he'd come home being covered in sawdust and like outside work and then would, um, you know, like shower and like make lather and like shave himself. And he smelled amazing. And then it was like, 
um, button down shirt with the tie and it's like night and day. And so I okay. actually even cut my face shave, trying to shave with my dad one time. It wasn't, um, yeah. So needless to say, I'm a huge, huge daddy's girl. He's my favorite person I've met so far. And so I think like my love for shaving and the aftershaves and the colognes and all that kind of stuff. That's so that's what steered me towards barbering. And that's why I went okay. that route instead of like cosmetology and makeup and stuff. So. Okay. That's, you know, it's cool to hear that, that, you know, like the, the impact that, you know, the family dynamic had for you and that closeness and kinship and kind of some, I like how you describe the reminders of like what brings you forward into now and the things that, you know, you celebrate to kind of remember those things and even like the smells and everything. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And then also I think it's just um, my, both of my parents like came here from El Salvador. And so thinking about um, a lot of times things that we deal with through entrepreneurship, I think having mm -hmm. a source that you like living embodiment of combating crazy survival situations, I think you kind of go, okay, I have to figure this out, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think too, it's, you know, you know, the, something that I, I know from knowing personally is like that, that closeness and like camaraderie that you have with family. Um, where do you think that comes from? Is, you know, is that, as you mentioned, you know, families from El Salvador. So like, is it is Hispanic culture that you experience that? Is it something that's just different? What do you, how do you say about that? That is such a cool question. Um, the reason why I really like that question is for the most part, I think the Latin community is a very family driven community when they met. So crazy, crazy story. My, my mom, they came to America fleeing the gorilla situation that was happening in the early eighties. So if you were a male, close to 13 years of age, the gorillas would go to the schools and pick out the boys and take them to be their soldiers. The dynamic of the closeness of our immediate family, like my mom and my two brothers, that came just growing up. My dad was always like, if we ever, as siblings ever had like a falling out or whatever, he'd make us like apologize or like apologize and like give us this heartfelt speech about how like, we're our, we're each other's best friends and like we have to work towards being each other's best friends and then of course when you your brother, <laughs> yeah when you're when you're i'm like i'm the oldest of the three and my brother's a year younger than i am and the littlest one is nine years younger like when you want to go hang out with your friends and they're making you bring your kid brother with you you're like this sucks <laughs> but now as adults like um we are so close. Like if one of us has work out of the country for an extended period of time, the other two of us will eventually come out, even if it's just for a weekend or else like, did it even happen? Like, was it even like, it, it's not as okay. horrible or as awesome if the other two didn't get to at least like make eye contact with like what the other one did. Um, we're, we're, we're very, very close. And that, that really is from my dad, like kind of like, requesting slash forcing it. And then um, now with my mom, she actually is physically affectionate because we forced her to be 
And now she likes us coming over. Like I, you know, if I'm like, okay. hey, no, I'm going to come over. She's like, oh, yay. I can't like, can't wait. You know, and you're like, ooh, was abducted my mother and made her be like really enjoyed it. But, but um, so it's, it's our, it, we lost my dad in 08. And okay. so even more so um, after that, I think we've, we have been very intentional of, seeking each other out as like, you know, if I haven't heard my brother is a sing my, the one that's a year younger than me is a single mm -hmm. dad. And so if I haven't like heard from him in a couple of days, I'll like text him or call him or like make him meet me for dinner. So I can like see that he's happy and okay. Um, and then, yeah, my, my little one who's a foot taller than me, he actually works here at Bladecraft. He actually was here helping me out. And my other brothers made like, he reaches out to me with the, all kinds of, different marketing ideas that he has for bleed craft or um, he built the, the doorway that connects the original blade craft to the expansion of it. So a lot okay. of what's in the shop is um, we're all very invested in everybody else's um, success. And, but yeah, it definitely came from my parents. So, okay. and I, so I think it, I think it is cultural, but then it's continuing that, you know, so. I like that. I like that you mentioned that, you know, with the, the, you know, the love of dad, but also like the, you will like each other, <laughs> like you, this is going to happen kind of, you know, and it's interesting that, you know, that kind of carried forward at first it was, you know, as a pain in the ass. And now it's something that you appreciate because you kept close and you guys stay in contact and, you know, make time for each other and, you know, taking time to actually visit. And like when you said outside the country, you're doing something, you know, somebody will make a time for another one. That's awesome. Uh, you also mentioned kind of segue over to bladecraft. So you got into doing massage, then you got into barbering. How did the bladecraft come about? I fell and hit my head. Okay. No. <laughs> I like it. That sounds like Back to the Future, but I'll go with it. So that'd be a cool car. There's some dope shoes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that'd be. I don't know if I would want to go back to the future. Actually, I don't know if I would, if I'd be down for that. Um, how did Bladecraft come about? So, Bladecraft came about. It's going to sound super cheesy and super hey, silly, right. but um, so I worked in an array of barbershops. I worked all the way from like the old school barbershop where there's, you know, every Saturday there's old school cars in the front and yeah. it's the retired guys sipping coffee and, um, small town, Texas to, um, traveling to a little bit more high end lifestyle clubs where people had to have kind of like a country club vibe where people had to have a membership to be a part of it. And, okay. um, I was very, since the beginning, what drew me to barbering was straight razor shaving. And anytime I ever had a client, so like, say you came in for a haircut, I'd say, Hey, mm -hmm. Jeremy, have you ever had a straight razor shave? And you'd say, no, I haven't. Or yeah, this one time in Vegas. So while I was prepping you for your shave or at the end or after you'd gone, I'd make a note like, so Vegas one. And I kind of kept a running tab. So it was like Vegas, um, Washington, Florida, um, 
New York. So those were kind of like the four spots that kind of had like recurring places or that were okay. in the country. Otherwise it was like Turkey, um, you know, just places overseas at the, Italy. So anytime that I had time to go on a trip, I would make it a point to like research the barbershops in that area. Uh, and I'd go and visit them and see if I could interact with anybody that was also wow. doing straight razor shaving. Cause it's kind of obscure and, mm-hmm. um, not really there that there wasn't an Instagram or social media or anything like that. So there wasn't really education available then. So I would just go and be like, hi, I'm Lily and I am a barber and I like shaving. And it seems that you have done shaves and what yeah. product do you like? And, um, what are you? And so it'd be like instant, like, oh my gosh, kind of kindred spirits or the, or you'd get the like, fuck off kind of thing. Like you're yeah. not welcome here. Go away. Um, so but, yeah, yeah. Lord <laughs> forbid. Um, but for the most part, it was, it was like the kindred spirit kind of thing. And they were really, um, welcoming to share what they had going on. And so the more that I researched, the more I realized that just the education for barbering just really wasn't readily available. Like it just wasn't, um, for example, the barber school I went to, it was like, if there's a hundred students, only three of us are women. And, Mm. um, also, some of the students that were in school were also doing it as a cover-up to have a lot, like, large quantities of cash because their real business wasn't actually legal. But if you're a barber, then you have reasons to have tons of cash on you mm-hmm. at any given point in time, apparently. So, the peop- so that particular environment isn't necessarily welcoming towards women, one. Yeah. And even if it isn't just women, it could just be not necessarily welcoming to people that aren't totally sold on, you know, the doughboy environment or that vibe. So as I'm going to work, I'm working usually for with primarily women and they just didn't really feel comfortable going to those types of schools um, or didn't even know that like barbering was a thing. Like they just usually th- when they think about like doing hair or think they think of like beauty and makeup and eyelashes mm-hmm. and then they end up working in a place that's highly uh, masculine and then really enjoy it. But then they don't have the technical skills to execute it like a barber okay. would. Um, so that's when I was like, okay, I started getting a lot of my clients are like, you should open your own barbershop. You should do your own thing. And the more that I thought about it, it was like, who would I hire? Like I'm going to be in the same situation of all these amazing places I've worked where their number one issue is who to hire. And then I woke up, I I literally would dream. I would wake up and I would have like this dream of Bladecraft. Like I would see it in my mind every morning. And so that's the part that's like, I'd wake up and I'd be like, well, it's still there. Like I would keep imagining it. And then, um, but I'm a barber that massages, you know, so like how the heck do I go about even starting a business and, mm-hmm. you know, that whole nightmare. Yeah. That's got to, yeah, it's definitely a transition. I like that, you know, you, you identified and actually took the time to go out and search out these places. I mean, I can imagine because, you know, not to be discriminatory by height, but how tall are you? I mean, I'm 5'2 without my stilettos. See, there you go. 
I just imagine you going into a place and being like, "Hey, I'm Lily," and, and introducing yourself, and then being like, "Hey, uh, this is our, you know, our secret way of doing it." Like, it's almost like going to McDonald's and asking, "What do you put on the Big Mac?" You know, like some people take they 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 harbor their their skills so hard that no one can exist with them and no one can know about them. Instead of it being like a, "Hey, here's a sharing of knowledge and opening up," but I'm glad that you know you kept trying and pursuing it, and then, uh, you know you know you're onto something when you actually are dreaming about it and you're thinking about it so much that, you know, subconsciously you're envisioning it and you're seeing the, you know, your goals start to build and build. And then hopefully, you know, that plane started to come together. So um, that's awesome. What, so what year was it when you actually were able to open Bladecraft and like, was it initially like a brick and mortar or was it set somewhere else? And then you moved into brick and mortar. What happened? So that's a really great question. So I started working on a business plan in 2012 and then I incorporated, like I had an attorney that helped me create an LLC and I have really great friends and I always just ask for, like, I will ask for help. Like, Hey, I don't know about that. I mean, I bug you all the time for different things that I know that you have experience Mm -hmm. with. So a friend of mine, that I'd worked with is a very talented um, designer. So I reached out to him about like the name of the school and the logo of the school and the colors for the school and kind of, and he is so patient to break things down into Lily terms and say, well, that's cute, but it wouldn't look great on a billboard as it would on a business card. And so that's when I'm like, well, well, you obviously know what you're doing. So let's, you know, so he designed the, the visual um he really helped curate or and create the the brand bladecraft barber academy and so now i have this like beautiful logo and this name um and then but there isn't like the place of it right so then when i then i'm working on a business plan so i actually went to like starting a business course at smu which i've not gone to college. I do not have a college degree. So here I am in class with people taking their masters at SMU for like a, I don't know, eight week course or something on starting a business. And it, it walked you through kind of like, you may be an entrepreneur, you know, you may be able to start a business if like, if you feel this way about this, like different way. And so a lot of it, so a lot of it was kind of confirmation of like, Hey, I've, I did that or I am doing that. Um, and then, um, trying to get that started on paper. So then I had a, the actual like business plan, but then it's like, okay, you need to apply for a loan. Well, I went to three small business banks and none of them mm-hmm. knew what the requirements were for the loan, like even what it took to apply for it or what would, you know, how you even go about it. So I'm like, okay. okay. So then I'm back to going in person, trying to figure that out. And then I realized um, with a, at the time to qualify for a small business loan, you have to have 25% down of what you want to borrow. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a barber. Like I'm a barber all day, every day. And, um, I'm, I'm doing great, but 25 per, I mean, $25,000 cash for a hundred thousand dollar loan 
for a barber. That's a lot. Is a lot of money. And if you need 200,000, now you need $50,000 cash in your account. So I'm like, okay, well, my business, my job that I do now, like I can provide for myself. I live, I, I, I loved my life, but if I want to do this, I'm going to have to be able to put this money away somehow. So then I started fundraising. So I created Lily on location. So I'd work my 40 hour a week job. And then I would set up at like a cigar bar or a men's clothing store or different places. And then people would walk by and I'd be like, hi, I'm Lily. I'm obviously insane. I'm looking to create Bladecraft Barber Academy. So any service that you get, like the money's going towards my down payment for this loan that I want. And um, wow, what I learned through that process was that like in my mind, mm-hmm. I can see Bladecraft, but Bladecraft doesn't exist to anyone, right? So when mm-hmm. I'd say, oh, blah, blah, for Bladecraft, they'd be like, yeah, that's cool. But like, when are you going to be there? Yep. Right? So like, whatever. When, okay, but am I going to get a shave with you? And I'd be like, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, if you want to shave, I'll shave you. They'd be like, great. So then they'd sit down, have a shave, and they'd be like, you poor thing, and, you know, throw an extra 100 bucks at me or something. I'd be like, oh, thank you so much. Like, stay tuned. <laughs> Bladecraft <Yeah>. coming soon. <laughs> um, so the first experience I had was I did, like, an Indiegogo campaign. So I, like, launched, so I bought, like, you can buy a T-shirt or you can buy a mason jar or you could do this. Mm-hmm. And what I learned from that experience was that everything that I spent to make that happen was exactly what I got back. It was a complete wash. And now I had 99 people saying, when's Bladecraft going to open? When's Bladecraft going to open? Which was terrifying. And then you're kind of like, if there's one person that wants to know when Bladecraft's going to open, it's me. And I promise Mm -hmm. I'll let you know the second that I know. Right. So then after that, that's when I would just do, um, I just would have regular spots that I would hang, um, set up a barber chair and just offer services and then um, was able to finally qualify for my loan. Um, and then I was in a 2,200 square f- foot space, um, which is the original Bladecraft. And um, we've then ex- expanded to the suite next to it. And we did that. Um, okay. it'll, it'll be, it's a, a little over a year now. So. so you like, you know, literally, you know, bootstrap the the experience to get to where you are and you had to get very creative and savvy and make some time you know outside of the the norm to to really get yourself to have the you know cash flow to make those loans possible and yeah i i i like that story i mean i don't know i'm familiar with it but i like the story because you talk about like going to other locations and places that you know businesses and setting up you know a, a set up shop quote unquote and you know wherever you were to kind of put it together and you know make it known and but yeah the 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 merchandise stuff that you 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 know ended up a wash on and then everybody's like you know jones in for more you're like oh well i'll get there um you know see when so what you said like with the expansion so for those of that might be watching that aren't familiar with dallas and dallas proper you know downtown and everything can you give me a little history about where you're located, what's the neighborhood like, why is it important to you, significance, et cetera, that kind of thing? Absolutely. So Deep Ellum is next door to downtown Dallas. And I 
lived here about five years prior to opening up Bleedcraft here. And the history of Deep LM is art, culture, blues, music, food. It's almost like you take the clean cutness of Deep LM in a business district and you flip it upside down and then you get Deep LM because then you get the unrefined, um, not, uh, we're not walking fast. Um, mm -hmm. we're not, we're walking a block down the street, so we'll get there eventually. Um, there's not, um, I mean, I walk fast just because I personally walk fast, but not like when you think of a downtown, like somebody's going from one meeting yeah. to another meeting. Kind rush, of thing. Rush. Yeah. yeah. That's you come here not to rush, rush. And, um, so when I, first lived in Deep Ellum. Um, mm -hmm. I lived in a loft and I could just, you know, come home, switch into my Converse and walk down the street, go have dinner and see a live show. And um, now it's got, it's grown so much that, I mean, you, you can still, you, you can definitely still do that, but there is so much more to do. Mm -hmm. um, as far as um, restaurants and entertainment and that kind of thing. Um, the reason why it was, it really spoke to me for the, when I was thinking about, obviously I lived here and I am deep Ellum in my mind in that I enjoy reading. I enjoy conversations. I enjoy business. I love math. Mm -hmm. I love it when the math is right. <laughs> But I really enjoy art and culture. And so if you can get, you know, aesthetically things that look well, but then they also work, like mm -hmm. that's a double, a double thing. So you've got like here in Deep Ellum, we have um, 42 murals. And so like once a year, different artists have access to paint a mural. And so the mm -hmm. art, while it's, so beautiful and there's artists that come from all over the world to put up art um it's fleeting so you want to enjoy it and take it in because it's not going to be there forever so it's like a what you describe as this you know historic area that it has the feel of you know early you know early 20th century expansion and like you said like a yeah, I'm a music nerd myself and, you know, growing up in Dallas Worth area, you know, going to Deep Ellum back in the day for punk rock shows and stuff like that. And, How you know, tall Mohawk. yeah, so, you know, the, uh, it's interesting to see how the, the neighborhood has changed, but it's also remained true to its character and, you know, its identity and that storefront experience you, you describe is, I think is, is absolutely essential to, you know, why that location means so much to you and why you're successful in such area because yeah you it's approachable it's you know it's got a nice clean presence but it's also got that you know rustic historic you know industrial vibe so it's a cool setting so it's awesome to hear that and to get to hear you know your reasons for the location you're in so with bladecraft it's now in existence you've opened up more space um, what are some of the goals you have when people come to your doors as students? So I think that just in general, mm -hmm. the world that we live in has become a lot more 
I mean, we're on a, I'm seeing you through a screen right now, right? Mm -hmm. So, so much of what our world has come down to is our laptops, our phones, and I love the connection that it brings. But when my students come to Bladecraft, I want them to like know in the depths of themselves that nothing is more powerful and valuable than like the, the immediate like human interaction with their client. And I, I know for a fact that that translates then to their community because they're now in impacting this person's home, their work, um, their lives in a positive way. And so it makes our career so enjoyable and so mm-hmm. beautiful. And I think it's the knowledge of the acceptance, like the level of freedom that you can get with genuine, genuine acceptance of one, who you are, and then of who you're caring for. And I think that just, I know for a fact that people are drawn to that. They're just like, people walk in here and sometimes cry. Like as soon as they walk in and it's, they get they're like, are you okay? Yeah. I've just never felt the way I feel when I come here. And that's intentional. Like we do that on purpose. Like we, we are very intentional about that. So that's, that's what I would want for my students. That's fantastic to, you know, to hear the value that you put into the, you know, the camaraderie and also some, a keyword that you said that I think it's important to really connect with is acceptance. And, you know, when you talk about acceptance, so, you know, from my perspective, I think that, you know, the connection you bring with the students and bringing them into a very diverse, you know, array of a experience levels that they're going to get clients that they're going to see within also, you know, them themselves and the groups in the company they keep while in those classroom setting, you know, learning the skill. I think that's really valuable because that helps, you know, carry them forward and prepare them for, you know, whatever may come in their own experience, you know? Um, so with the students coming in and they're, they're doing the thing, they're learning the skills. Uh, what's the time frame? How long does it take? So if you don't have any background in barbering, uh, we have our craft apprentice program that's 1,500 physical hours. And so it's about 15 months because people come to school about 25 hours a week. And most people work part-time jobs. And so they're able to do their homework and kind of get that done. Here the next month, the hours were reduced in the state of Texas. So you're technically able to acquire a barber's license for 1,000 hours, which would then bring you to about 10 months. And so that would teach you more like the basics, how to pass state board. And then the 1500 hour program is going to help you more with like the confidence and the career of it, the business aspect of it and more reps and more repetitions, more technical tools, techniques um, that are just going to really put you um, in a different realm. um, Okay just getting a basic. So, and then we also have a program for somebody that's a stylist and wants to also learn barbering. That's a 13 week program, same thing, 25 hours a week. And -hmm. then we also teach barbers that are experienced that want to teach other people or want to manage and learn how to lead better. That's our master's program. And so that's about five months. 
That's a really good breakdown of it. I think it's really cool too that you explained the difference with, you know, hey, the state board may have reduced the hours, but the value of seeking out those additionals if possible is going to be an advanced, you know, start. If you're new to the skills, you're going to get more hands-on training and more of that depth and technique. Um, I know that I am a benefit of your training because my good friend and barber uh, is a alumni of the program, but also I laugh because like I, you know, I have like Brillo pad hair. So uh, <laughs> as it's, it's showing right now, like, you know, I, when I got out of the military, I tried to be cool and have hipster hair. I was going to grow it out and like shave it on the sides and look like a, you know, like, like an Instagram model. Yeah. It looked like I had a mushroom top and it was like <laughs> to the side. It just looked super awkward. So I'm, I'm succumbed to military hair the rest of my life when I, how much is left of it. But anyway, yeah, so Seth, you know, he usually takes care of me and I appreciate it greatly. And uh, so shout out to him and thank you for that is your, your training is, is uh, well, I promise in regular settings, I don't eat my hair doesn't look this <laughs> poofy, but um, yeah, no pressure. Get on camera with somebody who's like a master barber. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, but so that is, set is good. And he feels very inclined to participate and give back to his community and mm-hmm. so that is literally the whole, you know, the whole goal of what we were doing. So he, and he did the 1500 hours. So that's mm-hmm. kind of my point. It's like, you've got this product of a barber that we've had this whole time that are at 1500 hours. They reduced it to a thousand and it's like, okay, it's going to cover the bare minimum and you'll be legal, but um, yeah, we'd like for people to be successful. And so, you know, and other things you can get a master's or you can get a PhD and that's mm-hmm. how we feel about our 1500 hours. Okay. Well, I like that explanation of it. And that, that helps bring a lot of clarity because I know that somebody's watching this and they're, you know, they're pondering that idea themselves about, you know, start getting into it. But so something too, that I want to kind of really hit on is, you mentioned earlier and going to wrap back to it, education. So what I appreciate is the fact that you've taken on education that made sense for you versus education that was told to make sense for you. And what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes people go straight to college. Sometimes they go to the military. Sometimes they go to different skill sets, vocations. And I think that especially now if we're going to really really talk present you know it's march 2020 we're in the midst of you know the coronavirus and shutdown and you know work needs and things like that so a lot of people that may have had you know a great education had afforded that opportunity they're now looking at you know being furloughed laid off um you know fired you know from work because they can't be paid because of the, you know, oncoming recession and the hard times. And so I know right now you and I've talked about how that's affected your industry. Um, and like, you know, you're at Bladecraft right now, but it's just you at Bladecraft. So what are some of the things that you see right now present that could be helpful for people out there and give them a little hope and inspiration and like, you know, some of that I call the, the the lily savvy, you know, finding other ways to make do with what you got and, you know, make it the best possible. Um, so, you know, kind of guidance on that for other people, maybe just a business world in general, but also in barbering communities, especially. Um, and then also, you know, why, you know, your call to action for people to pursue a skill set versus, you know, a classroom at, you know, quote unquote, college classroom or something like that. And what's vital to you and how do you make that effective? 
Well, I, so I'm excited about what you brought up and I think it's really valuable um, in that a lot of times as children or people, we look Mm -hmm. up to people that we admire and sometimes we are either forced to take action based on what they are, you know, if they're our parents, like if you're living under their roof and they're making certain demands and you, Mm -hmm. this is what you have to do. Um, But a lot of times it isn't that you have to do it. It's just that you are unwilling to figure out what it is that is valuable and you're, real calling because it's terrifying, right? So Mm -hmm. it could be, well, if my parents say if I have to do X, Y, Z for them to pay my car and my cell phone, um, it may not be my calling, but that's what they're telling me I have to do. And so they kind of do it. Um, The other part is, hey, if I want to go, when I had to go to, when I, I I had to go to barber school, because it's what I had to do in my mind for my calling, what I needed to do. Well, then I myself, I'm going to have to pay for it, right? Or I'm going to have to provide for it. Um, And so if that means I'm going to have to work extra hours or work late or come in earlier, whatever it needs to be um, to be able to make that happen, then I'm going to make it happen because I don't have a choice in Mm -hmm. because that's how I view it. If it's my calling okay. and if it's what I've decided that it's what I have to go after, then I will figure, I have to figure it out there. I have no other option than to solve it. Right. And I feel like for a lot of people, it is that way. Like I want to honor my parents, whether it's cultural or whatever. So if they're saying that I have to go to college, then um, that's what I'm going to do. Well, my mom didn't even go to third grade. My mom can't read or write. So my mom's ideal dream for what I should do for a living, take a wild guess what it was. Um, I can try and imagine now. Would it be a teacher? Close. (laughs) It was somebody's receptionist or secretary. Okay. And her goal for me being someone's secretary was so that I could sit in air conditioning. Yeah. Right. For somebody that is picking cotton in, you know, a humid, hot environment, her daughter sitting at a desk inside of air conditioning, which actually I am sitting in a desk at air conditioning right now, (laughs) you know, that was her call, her dream of me, of, for me. Right. But it's based on, her reality, her upbringing, her past. And so I think that for a lot of people, it's, you know, if you are an adult and you are of age, like in actuality you have, and what, first of all, if you're in America, I don't care what's going on. If you are in America, you literally have so many opportunities and so many options. You could be roommates with somebody. You could, there's so many ways that if you wanted to take a year or two after high school to figure out what the heck it is you want to do or not want to do, that you could do it while you're not under your parents, you know, payroll one. But then I've had, you know, I've had multiple students that have, you know, my parents made me go to college and get um, my four-year degree. And then at that point, 
they were willing to let me, you know, go to, you know, hair school or, mm-hmm. you know, I've had students, you know, sadly that were having, you know, panic attacks or were in rehab because it's like, I did what my parents told me to do. And I'm working at Trader Joe's at 3am with a degree. And it's not aligning with what they gave me. Right. And so the parents Mm -hmm. are like, Hey, my kid wants to do a trade and he did what everything I asked him to do. And, you know, once they are able to come to Bladecraft and, and, and connect and create or do, um, they've thrived, they've flourished, their real personality has come out there. Um, and, and, you know, the different people that I've thought that have, that I can recall, they're still active barbers. Like they finished school, went into being a barber, love it. You know, um, if you're an introvert, you could still be an excellent barber because you're one-on-one. If you're an extrovert, you can still be an excellent barber because, there's, it, it, I mean, it, it can totally be personalized, not just to your client, but also to you. Um, you kind of build yeah. your clientele based on your who you are. I mean, you and Set have a lot of things in common, like how you guys found each other mm-hmm. initially. I'm not sure, but like once you guys met, it was like, oh my gosh, here's my long lost BFF based on things that, on your values that, you know, you, it, it's like if you could have, made a check check marks on what you wanted in a barber, you probably couldn't have even initially have come up with set. But then mm-hmm. once you met him, it's like, man, this is great. You know? Um, so I think it's first, you know, realizing is this what I have to do? You know, do I really have to do this if it's mm-hmm. you know, you're not content in it? And then it's like, well, then what time, what am I, what steps am I willing to take to figure out what it is that I like, have to do for myself and my calling to feel connected or content or accepted or, um, and ex- acceptance is a kind of a, a two way sword, but you know, acceptance mm-hmm. of myself, like that I'm content with who I am. Um, and then on just like trades in general, um, I've had to wear multiple hats just because that's what entrepreneurship requires. And I've had mm-hmm. to do the general contracting for the build outs and I've never contemplating buying a whip <laughs> more seriously than when I was having to be a general contractor, the inner sadist was there. But um, when you're signing a $30,000 check to a plumber, mm-hmm. it's like, could I be a plumber? Yeah. You know, I just gave this guy $30,000 right now yep. for plumbing, like to do a whole build out and it's, and it's muddy and it's dirty and it's gross. But then I'm like, do those, uh, rain boots come in pink? Because I don't, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of money to pay somebody that's doing a trade and then, or electricity, or, I mean, we live in Texas air conditioning. Are you freaking yep. kidding me? Thank God for air conditioning. Um, so, you know, uh, all the different things. That, I mean, all, what, we're in a situation where if you have an essential job, you can go to work. All the construction mm-hmm. sites are full. They're all full of people working, you know. Absolutely. So people yeah, are sitting at it, home with a degree and not working and look out your window and look at what the guy with the hard hat's doing. 
so your your wording is very very uh, hits me very hard because right now I don't know if you can hear it, but there's literally a crew outside doing <laughs> tree removal and trimming and grinding. So if it sounds like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre when somebody listens to this, I promise I'm okay. Um, but yeah, they're working. Yeah, they're working in the middle of this outbreak and everything because they're seen as essential work and the, you know that needs to continue. Um, and so you know that brings me forward too to like. What are you experiencing right now? Because, uh, you know, it, like a lot of people watching and a lot of people, you know, either themselves or someone they know or in someone in their house, most likely has been affected, you know, and impacted significantly by what's going on with the coronavirus, you know, COVID-19 or whatever people want to call it. But what is it that you're experiencing and what are some of the, you know, goals and moves that you're making to adapt to the landscape as it is? So for our industry, barbering, cosmetology, massage therapy, nail technicians, anybody that is in personal service, one, their health is in jeopardy. Mm. Um, You know, thank you so much to our medical providers that are risking their lives. I mean, there are even people are coming back out of retirement to assist to try and get the virus under control. So um, that's definitely not to be taken lightly. But I just think Mm. Um, so first of all, as a citizen, if my city council member is requesting that we shelter in place or that before they even officially did it, um, we as a business went ahead and did it because we want to be good stewards of mm-hmm. what we have and we want to be smart and nothing matters if we aren't healthy, like, mm-hmm. right. If you cannot breathe none of it matters. Like it just doesn't, or, you know, or a loved one or a friend. I mean, anybody that you really, any human being, right. If they cannot breathe, like nothing matters. So that being said, um, the severity of it, not, not taking that lightly at all. I think that what is going on in our industry is we, we can't touch people. We can't do what is our calling and what we love doing. Um, and back to being responsible and accountable for Mm -hmm. it is if say you were like, Hey, I really need a haircut. Just stop by my house and and just do it for me. Well, what if I have four more stops after you, or if I had four more stops before you, like Mm -hmm. who's to say that, you know, those households were clean and not, you know, or whatnot. So I think, taking the responsibility to not interact with the public right now, I think shows more of our devotion to the public and our clientele than us capitulating and then going and doing it. I feel like it says more to you as my client that I say, because I love you, I am taking such a big hit by not doing it. Um, It isn't just time. It's, um, what we truly value and what really is important to us. And, and um, I think that what we really value and what is important to us is what we are going to spend our time doing. So what I mean by that is there are ways to stay connected with our loved ones. There are ways to um, develop ourselves. Like there's apps to learn a new language. Like Mm -hmm. there are, um, master classes you can take online, 
Heck, you even do therapy sessions virtually. So if you, if somebody's mm-hmm. out there struggling, having a tough time with what's going on, having a virtual lesson to talk to somebody, hey, I've always wanted to go see a therapist. Like, this is a great time to do that. Um, even workouts, like people are like, oh, you know, I don't like going to the gym. This is the perfect time to try a workout in the privacy of your home so that when your bulldog comes by and knocks you down, nobody will see that. Um, and I don't think that this time, this quarantining time, um, necessarily means that you should come out of it with like a, look at, look at my perfectly mowed lawn. Like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say is, um, that we have different ways to work on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, our career, um, our skills, there are options. So if you have a car, like call the person that you're paying your car payment to and have your payments, try and have your payments deferred. Call your landlord, try to have your payments deferred there. Um, During this time, try to also help create a financial plan because if the reason why we are freaking out as badly as we are is because we can't cover one month of not being able to make a living, like that probably means that we have been living outside of our expense of, out of, out of what we're making living outside mm-hmm. of our means is the word I was looking for. And that's something we should um, get a hang of, you know, get a hold of. And it's going to take a little while obviously to get there, but you know, if we can breathe, if we can inhale and exhale, we are, on the really good side of this whole thing. So kind of, you know, not only just seek out knowledge, but you also find ways to, you know, maybe keep a routine going, you know, if it's either exercising, if it's, you know, actually making meals, if it's actually putting on work clothes, which you did a much better job than me for this. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that it's a, you know, yeah, that the structure kind of helps us and helps us have some kind of sense of normalcy. And, you know, if you're, in a position where you know you have work to return to, I mean, it's hard to say, but the good news is you have work to return to. You know, um, some people may not be able to experience that just yet, but that doesn't mean give up hope. I think that there is a lot of great opportunities and it's about finding ways to integrate with resources and solutions. Um, you know, there's some great things that people could be doing in their downtime that if it's either they are removed from work during this time, and they're going to have a chance to get back to it, or they don't know what the in, what, what may hold, you know, in the future, and they may need to look at a shift. There's great opportunities to help with that preparedness, and there's also a great opportunity now for people to seek out opportunity to help out the community at large. So volunteering, you know, doing organizational things, um, you know, something I think about about you know people, other fellow business owners and entrepreneur people is. Um, you know, some simple things to ask of the community. Like I, you know, I think that is very helpful is the people that are, you know, fans and clients of, you know, Bladecraft and these other people that have their own shops or work somewhere that are in a barbering, you know, a lot of times now they're on social media. You know, I never get featured on the social media, like before and after haircut, but it, that's okay. That's a, that's a personal grudge I'll have to address, but you know, we, we do these things. And so maybe it's time for us to reverse the customer experience. And so as customers and consumers, we could easily reach out, see how these people that, you know, we care for and seek out their services 
A, just how they're doing a simple conversation if you have the opportunity, but B, also some things you could do that don't cost you anything. You know, if it's, you know, if you have money, maybe buy a you know, gift card online. If it's, you know, or, you know, merchandise from our online store, um, writing them a review, which is really funny because like, it's very easy to do, but we don't think about it in times like this, but you know, that's a great way to help people sustain is, you know, whatever they can do to make sure that they still stay valid and, you know, and present so that they do have something to come back to and they do have something to, you know, build and maintain during this hardship, you know, and a temporary, a, a temporary imbalance is temporary. It is very tough and it's very daunting. And, you know, some people unfortunately are going to, you know, lose a loved one or be severely impacted physically as well as mentally, but also too the financial aspects that come into play. And it's kind of a, a jolt to their systems to realize, like you mentioned, we have to be able to live more than a month at a time. You know, at the end of the month, your paycheck is, you know, $3,000 and you spent 3050 then that's a little bit that you're, you know, already in the hole for going forward. And we just sometimes, you know, our financial planning is just about what we need when we want to get it. And so, you know, thank goodness for, you know, services that can provide us these things so fast. But unfortunately, sometimes, you know, the psychology part of it is this, you know, supply demand thing that we play in our head is, oh, my gosh, my package is going to arrive in two days as instead of the same day which is, you know, when you think about it and, you know, it's just like when people pick up their, their cell phones, like, oh my God, my phone's going. So it's like, there's more technology in this than launch people into space. But I digress, tech nerd here. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I think that's really cool that you, you brought that up and, you know, and you still stay optimistic and you still stay hopeful. And, you know, you watch them mention some very smart moves. It's like, hey, it's okay to ask for help. And it's also okay to say, you know what? I can't pay you right now because of literally what's going on. And so I'm going to do my best or, Hey, I'm going to need to make ultimate arrangements and defer payment until things pick back up. And so, you know, that's having those real conversations that, you know, they make you feel very vulnerable and very at risk, but they're also truth to be shared so that others can understand where you are and what you need. Yes. And thank you for pointing out the vulnerability because especially on for somebody that owns a business, nobody opened a business to then not be able to care for their staff and their clientele. Mm. Like when I opened, created Bladecraft, it was absolutely not to be able to care for my team and my students and my clients. Like the situation we're in is the complete opposite of why we went into business, right? It's to be able to provide for our community and our, our guests. So I think too, that, mm. um, you know, some, t it's not comparing, like, I'm not trying to compare, you know, a person that is working for someone and isn't making anything, but I'm just pointing out from an employer standpoint that we genuinely care about providing for our teams and we genuinely mm. want them to be successful. And, and, the decisions that we're making now is for the hope that we can provide for them once this is over. Like mm -hmm. it's to be able to give, have a place of solace and work and opportunity when, when this is over. So at least that's okay. what all my friends that are, you know, have their small businesses. I mean, we're all like, what are the things that we can do now to ensure that we have something for them when this is over? Because we didn't 
that's why we opened is because we cared. So. Yep. Absolutely. And so I think that, you know, that's too, is the, is the, you know, the, the hope that we need and it's not to be aloof and act like nothing exists and everything's going to be all right. And we're, you know, avoiding truce and uncertainty, but it's also, you know, the, going back to grade school kind of, you know, mental health is, you know, what you can, can't control, you know, and you can control your experience as best you can. And sometimes there's honestly going to be things in life that are going to be troubling and they're going to be stressful and they're going to be traumatic. But we also have to find a way to rein in our experience so we can stay in a place going forward. And, you know, me, as you very well know, you know, being the mental health person that I am, I'm very big advocate for, you know, finding a way to move positively forward. And that doesn't mean like everything is awesome. You know, this isn't the Lego movie, you know, this is reality. You know, things are happening and it's about how can I navigate to the best of my ability and, you know, coming back to self, that awareness, taking in some mindful moments to just really assess where you are physically, if you're drained, if you're tired, if you're, you know, feeling hungry, you're feeling cranky, et cetera, things that are affecting you. But hey, how is that affecting the experience that I'm having now? And how am I impacting the world that I exist in versus me looking at the world and how it impacts me? Because we do that a lot with the knowledge that we get thrown at us from 24-hour news and constant updates and you know things being pushed out that may not be exactly accurate just yet. And then people trying to do their best on social media who you connect with. And then they're pushing out things like, Oh, a doctor in Japan says this. You're like, well, the CDC who is a bona fide resource and not just some third party thing that somebody, you know, put out there is saying this. So, you know, I always try to advocate for people to find the factual resources when it comes to those kinds of things. But also, you know, in the realm we're talking about here is, you know, as an individual, as a business owner, as an employer, you know, is the things that you have to do and the steps you have to take and the, you know, the burden you face with that. So, you know, I think it's great that you're able to share that and, you know, give some people some more insight and a learn a little more about you obviously is awesome, but also what you do, why you do it and how much it's grown in, you know, into being an actual, you know, legit business set up successful being considerate that understanding that what we're doing today does matter in mm -hmm. the long realm or in the long Absolutely. term. So um, those would be my, what I would want to point out. <laughs> <laughs>